The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Hi, and thanks for joining me today on 5G Talent Talk. I am so glad you are here. We have a special guest. Ian Aaron. He is the founder and CEO of Ubiquia. Ian, thank you so much for joining me today on 5G Talent Talk. Carrie, thanks so much. Looking forward to the talk this morning. So I met you at an event and I heard you speak and I was a little bit distracted and I was doing a couple different things, talking to some people. And all of a sudden I heard you say a few things and I just laser focused on you and said, I have got to get him on my podcast. So Ian, before we get into Ubiquia, tell me about your journey. How did you get to where you are today? Well, my background is as an engineer and in business out of University of Illinois. Started my career at GTE in okay. all facets of the mobile and telecom industry. And I've been running public and private tech companies for the past 25 years. Everything from workouts for Morgan Stanley to divisions for News Corp. And had some great success in really taking early stage technology and turning it into significant businesses. And that's mm-hmm. really the opportunity that we saw here at Ubiquia. And yeah. I came to Ubiquia through a 40-year relationship with the chairman. We went to high school together. It's a great story. And Ubiquia was going down a little different direction in the IoT space had a little different vision for the business and about five plus years ago came on board with the support of the board and investors and really turning the company into something very unique. And it is very unique. So tell me all about Ubiquia, your product, what you do. I'm so fascinated by this. Well, we like to say we're in the intelligent infrastructure business. And I think what makes us so unique is there's been hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars of investment in infrastructure that's already in the ground, whether it's streetlights, utility poles, transformers, really the fundamental industrial components of cities and utilities. And when you look at, as an example, the 5G space, the traditional model was, let's put in new infrastructure. Let's put in new fat poles. Let's build. And we took the step back and we said, wow, there's all this infrastructure. How do we leverage this to accelerate 5G? How do we leverage this to take existing transformer and distribution grids and make them intelligent? How do we leverage this to drive even things like energy savings? So that was the mission. And we started in the streetlight business. So if you ever look at a streetlight, you have a streetlight every 50 meters. They're eight to 10 meters high, so 25 to 30 feet high. But on that streetlight from every manufacturer, there's a socket that has the photocell. That socket is universal on 360 million streetlights around the globe. So whether you're in Australia, Japan, Germany, across the US, Latin America, Brazil, wherever, it's universal. So we make products that plug into that photocell socket, and that's where we started. And the first one we started is just a little upside down Dixie cup. 
that plugs into the photocell socket and saves cities 20 to 40% in energy. And in a city, their streetlight utility bill is one of their largest expenses in energy. So we're doing things that are helping cities and utilities, and then they're able to take those savings and start to put it into other infrastructure, such as public safety with more cameras or license plate readers, or expand public Wi-Fi, or even what we're doing now in 5G, working with people like Ericsson to help the carriers densify 5G. I have to say, I've been driving around and I look at all these streetlights and I think of you and I'm like, I wonder if that's one. I wonder if that's one. It is just such a brilliant, brilliant idea. It's funny because now we're deployed in more than 400 cities and utilities in a relatively short period of time. We have some major, major contracts that are already contracted and we're going to be announcing shortly. Our mantra in the company is simply connected, simply smart. So when you look at a lot of these initiatives in industrial IoT, they require you to build out big networks. Like Cisco, you have to build out big mesh networks, which is what the utilities historically did. And we took a stance early on and we said, the carriers are going to be expanding 5G. The cost per megabyte over the years just keeps declining. They're building carrier utility class networks at the highest level of reliability. Why do you want to go and recreate the wheel? So it's exciting in the position in our business because on one side, we're putting hundreds of thousands of devices every year on the network for the carriers. And on the other side, we make products that leverage the infrastructure to help the carriers accelerate 5G. So it's a very exciting kind of place to be right now. It sure is. So I was reading on your website a bit that you are redefining the inspection process. Can you speak about that a bit? When you say the inspection process, are you talking about permitting process or are you talking about what we're doing on the grid? It could be both of those because I found that to be fascinating. Can you speak about both of them? Sure. So today, when you go to put up a fat pole for 5G, and the other interesting thing to think about is two, three years ago, the C-band auction wasn't done. Millimeter wave auctions weren't there. CBRS auction. All of a sudden, in a very short period of time, you've got all this additional spectrum. Many of this is what we call mid-band spectrum. And that mid-band spectrum requires more sites. And when you think of a typical site, it's 12 to 18 months in permitting, four to six months in construction. And for the reality of 5G, both mid-band and millimeter wave, the U.S. is going to need several million small cells over the next five years. And the question is, can you do that waiting 18 to 24 months for every site. So what we've ended up doing is we developed and we collaborated with Ericsson. In fact, we did a pilot with AT&T. They thought it was such a game changer. They said, we want you to work with Ericsson and Nokia to deliver this solution. And I always like to show and tell. So we have a product. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Yeah. So we have a product literally that plugs into the photocell socket in about 30 seconds, can be activated in days. Everything that you see in a fat pole from the radio, the antennas are all integrated into this power supply, except this is certified as a meter. So we also can tell the utilities how much energy is actually being used by the device and report it to them on a revenue grade basis, on a billing grade basis. Things like tilt and vibration, so they understand the impact of weather on the poles. This is not what you have in a typical fat pole. So we've really 
done something incredibly unique that I think if you look at the video on Ericsson's site, they'll tell you it's a game changer, and that is sold through Ericsson. So when people think of technology, there's a lot of great 5G products out there. The reality is the U.S. carriers are primarily Ericsson and Nokia. So you can wait for ORAN, which was going to be years, Moken, Moran, all the different technologies. But if you want to start doing something today, you need assets in the ground today and you need compatible products today. And that's the beautiful kind of meld of what we bring together. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but how is the technology going to keep us safer and more connected? So first of all, by being able to put out more radios, obviously you're improving the network. I'm sure you've seen the situation where you have four bars, you have coverage, but you don't necessarily have capacity. And capacity requires a higher density of radios. And that's all about what we're doing. That's going to have to happen. But we also make products in a similar fashion. This happens to be a Wi-Fi 6 access point, but integrated into it is a dual 4K camera. It has integrated microphones and an eight-core neural AI processor. So we use this in cities such as Dallas and Ontario and Miami-Dade and Schenectady all over the country where they're using it for better management of traffic flows, pedestrian crossings and pedestrian safety, using it inherently to expand public broadband. And there's numerous other cases, the fact that we do everything on the edge. You've heard people talk about, oh, the cloud's moving to the edge. Well, we're doing it. And we're leveraging the 360 million compatible streetlights that are out there to do it. We even have a deployment, it's great, in Hawaii that just happened where the mayor is actually in the bucket truck installing this in less than a minute. Wow. So excited that they're going to be able to provide public Wi-Fi in areas that, where they couldn't before. So mm. we look at many of our products, like our small cell, it's the small cell antenna, power supply, metering, all integrated. Our Wi-Fi is really, I call it the Swiss army knife for the city. It goes in as Wi-Fi, but you've got the AI for the cameras. You have the audio integrated so that you can do congestion and other types of audio management. So audio reporting. And what is also important, everything we do is on a single platform. So when you see cities today, they have multiple vendors and then they have to have single panes of glass and other consultants and everybody to come in to try to integrate everything. Here, because we're LTE-based, they can start with basic one, two, 10 devices. They can grow it. They don't have to build out private networks to do it. And this is why we're seeing so much interest in the product and it's scaling. Yes, of course. And I'm sure that it's such an exciting place to work as well. And I know when we source for engineers, they always say, I want something interesting, exciting. It's about the project. It's about what I'm up to. So sounds like just an incredible place and culture. Can you describe a little bit about the culture at Ubiquia? So first of all, culture is always led from the top. And I've been incredibly fortunate. I made the decision to move the business to Fort Lauderdale because of the 4,500 people that were in Motorola. It was originally in Melbourne, Florida, the Space Coast where there's brilliant engineers, but I think there's a philosophical difference. When you're in the Space Coast, you're making five gold-plated devices that go on Mars for 30 years. Here, we're making carrier and utility-grade devices scaled by the hundreds of thousands and millions as this business grows. So the mentality of the team that we have from companies like 
Motorola, Cisco, GE really are helping to drive the innovation culture. As it relates to overall, there's something about a company whose mantra is we make cities smarter, safer, and more connected. And when you see about what's going on today with all of the DOE funding on grid resiliency, rural and public broadband, energy savings and public safety, everything that's in the news, our products are really in the bullseye. So I think there's a culture here that people come in and they know that the products we're making are saving cities money and those savings are giving them more money to put against broadband and public safety. They're seeing that while carriers have great balance sheets, they're still looking at the most cost-effective way to scale, not just in dollars, but also how do they do it more expeditiously in a shorter yes. period of time. And then what's been great about the Florida area as well, the South Florida, is we actually have several intern programs, one with FAU, where I'm really proud of with uh, Dean Stadabar-Lama, who she's the Dean of the Engineering School. So we have quite a few engineering interns that come through. Many of them convert to full-time. And more than 50% of those that have come through have been women with quite a few that have converted to full-time. So we also have an intern program with Cincinnati School Design. So we get some great talent for our industrial design team and also working on some other intern programs in different schools around the country. Amazing. Ian, do you have any challenges with retaining talent or any strategies that you can share that are working for you right now? So... We realized up front that we have to be competitive and there's a cost for doing that, but it's, I think, the right kind of investment. So everybody participates from the standpoint of RSUs. We've structured something where employees get it every year. So it's not a grant. And then four years later, they get another grant. We have it just as part of the normal compensation structure. We have a very comprehensive health and benefits program, which is very important nowadays. And we've done the same thing with our IRAs and other programs internally. So we've tried to look like a Facebook or a Google to make sure we retain. And then when you look at our senior team, our COO was 25 years at Motorola. As the corporate VP of all product development and engineering, Peter Alamanis, great connective Mm -hmm. tissue with the community, tech and research and education. If you look at his entire senior team, they're all 20 plus years at Motorola. We have the same thing from Cisco in our finance and sales department, 20 plus year experienced veterans. And I think that kind of leadership really fosters hiring great people. They see that why would somebody with that kind of experience be at this company? And when they start peeling the onion, they start understanding why. You are so right. So let's look at the future Tell me about your vision. Where is Ubiquia going to be in five years from now? What most excites you about the future, Ian? So I think what excites me is we could put up several million devices and we could be just scratching the surface. Every product that we make is compatible globally. So for us to take all the hundred plus million dollars of investment that went into creating these products, now we can start looking at taking them on a global basis with just local certifications, local language, but I literally can take our products in 150 countries, ship them, plug them in, and they work. So we're working on strategies on how we really start to drive growth for the company. With that said, I am, as I said, an engineer. People like to say propeller head, but (laughs) I come deep roots in product, and we have a lot of exciting innovation in front of us right now. 
And that innovation is also going to drive, obviously, the need for more resources in different areas. We're coming out with a millimeter wave repeater that's going to help the carriers really deliver on the dream of ultra-wideband installs in minutes and can start delivering better coverage or even fixed wireless access to users. What we're doing in the grid business, it's the first time at scale utilities can really start monitoring the distribution network. There are distribution transformers at scale. And as we've been deploying at scale, the data and the AI around it has been incredible. So we see significant hirings in data scientists and in our AI group across all facets of the business, whether it's the smart city, the connectivity, or the grid. And then we're seeing right now, obviously, with all the budgets and the funding, whether it's DOE grants for grid resiliency, broadband and rural broadband, we just see for the next five years, just tremendous opportunity, even with the core products. So we're building not only the sales team, but channel programs to bring on channel partners all around our connectivity space. We see a lot of really exciting opportunity around private LTE, especially in the utility segment, as they Mm -hmm. start to convert from legacy ISM band mesh to 5G. And we've developed technology that allows us to go up on the public networks. And then when utilities convert to private LTE, the products without having to go back up on the pole can convert over to the private network. So, so much of what we think about in innovation isn't just the hard technology, it's the logistics. How are people going to do this at scale? How are the partners going to do it cost-effectively so they maintain their ROIs? And doing what we're doing, we're going to see growth in every facet of our business from hardware, mechanical design, embedded software, AI application, absolutely kind of on the sales side as well as we start to expand internationally. So we see a lot of exciting things in the next three to five years. Yes. And uh, whoever's listening to this podcast right now is probably thinking, how can I work for Ubiquia? This sounds so exciting. And I agree. So tell me your website and also where to go to look for open jobs available. So we have postings on our website, which is ubiquia.com. We have a great HR department. So we have quite a few postings, obviously, on LinkedIn as well. And I think between those two, like I said, we typically post everything. We also, as I said, have these intern programs. And I think what I really love about the culture is we've got really seasoned executives who have been there, done this as far as building carrier utility public safety products for those industries at very high quality levels and related products in the millions of devices. So bringing that kind of expertise and experience with kind of young, really great talent, bringing those two things together has created just a great culture and environment. So we're open to other intern programs and other schools. So it was just a little side note. I was on a plane sitting next to a nice young gentleman who's just going to Temple in engineering. And I gave him my card and I said, we love great interns. I could tell he was a sharp young man and literally sent me a note, connected him with our HR. And now we're talking about a summer program for him. That's just awesome. For our friends who are listening, who are not seeing us by video, could you spell Ubiquia, please? U as an uncle, B as in boy, I as in India, C as in Charlie, Q-U. I is in India, A is in alpha.com, ubiquitous. There we go. 
Ian, it's an honor to have you on the show. And what you've created, your team has created the innovation. It's one of those things where I'm sure so many people are thinking, why didn't I think of that? It's just brilliant. So again, I cannot wait to see what you and your team are going to do in the future. And I know that our paths are going to cross again and again and again. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. It was a great opportunity. And like you said, I hope viewers out there start looking at streetlights a little differently. <laughs> I know I am. <laughs> Thank Thanks you, so Ian, much, for Perry. being on the show. Okay. It's a pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk, brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.